iOS VPNs may have been leaking your information, Android 13 has started rolling out, Brave on iOS is making moves, important updates to that Twilio breach we talked about last week, and more. Welcome to Surveillance Support, yes people, triple digits 100, where we're dedicated to keeping you private and secure with the latest news in the past week, and to announce giveaway winners. So lots of fun stuff this week, and we're gonna start with the giveaway before we get into the news. I am Henry from TechLore, from a hotel room and a new haircut. I am Nathan from The New Oil. And before we get into the giveaway, we want to remind you that, hey, we put on this giveaway for free and we had some amazing people who donated so many great things to make this giveaway possible, but we're still going to be shipping it out. We've been organizing this and putting it together. So if you entered in the giveaway, a big way to just kind of say thank you to us for that is to join our Patreon. You also get some perks in the process. And also if you want a more private way to support us, we have Monero as well that you'll see on the screen and in a description. So go ahead and give back if you have some stuff to spare. Otherwise, just enjoy the show. Okay, so we're now going to announce the winners of the giveaway. And we had, I think, 605 people entered. That is so, so many. Um, so just to be transparent with you guys, what we did, we used uh, CryptPad to accept entries because CryptPad is zero knowledge. And then we exported the results into a CSV file. And we then used random.org to generate numbers randomly. And, you know, whatever number matched with the line that you were exported on, that's the one we chose. So we tried to make this as random and fair as possible. And just to be clear, now that the giveaway is over, we're gonna delete all that data once we get in contact with the winners, make sure we got the addresses right and get everything shipped off. We'll start off with the Pixel Grand Prize winner who goes by Led Gary. So congratulations, you are getting the Pixel Grand Prize. Woohoo! What you're gonna get, Led Gary, is you're gonna get the Pixel from Mamushi.io. Uh, Mamushi.io sells pre-flash pixels. You, If you don't like the ROM that it comes with, you can flash whatever you want on it, or you can just keep it how it is. Um, you get to choose an item from our TechLore shop. You get a copy of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, which is a book from Carrie Parker. Good book. I started and then, reading that the um, other day. It's really good. Yeah, it's a, it's, a good, it's a good book, especially for beginners who are new to the whole privacy space. So if it's not good for some of the more advanced listeners, you can always give it to someone you know. And then you also get Go Incognito Premium Lifetime Access. So congrats to you. Our next winner is going to be the winner of the Pine Phone. So this is an EU-only prize that we established. And that winner is going to be, we, we tried to actually look this one up and we couldn't find a good pronunciation, but it's um, Argzit, Argzeti. So you got the Pine Phone and that includes the Pine Phone uh, as well as everything else I listed off beforehand. So something from the Techler shop, a copy of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons, and then go incognito lifetime access. And the last grand prize will be the software grand prize, and that is going to VSEC. So congratulations. And VSEC is getting a $100 Bitwarden gift card, which doesn't have to just be used on Bitwarden software, but in their physical store as well. He gets a two terabyte lifetime plan for Crypty. He gets lifetime access to go incognito, IVPN, one year pro, Simple Login, and Safing SPN. All of those are one-year access, so pretty cool. And then we have our final four silver winners who all get uh, pretty much modified versions of all the other prizes, but to a lesser extent. So they'll get one item from the TechLore shop, a copy of Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. They're all gonna get Crypty 400 gigabyte lifetime plans, go incognito lifetime access, and then they get IVPN, Simple Login, and Safing SPN for a year. And the four silver winners are going to be Lucas L, Zero Root, Arcadian Stag, and Bastion... Contrario? Contrario? Yeah. All right. So you four are the winners, and those are all seven of our winners for the giveaway. Anything awesome. Else Congratulations, add? everybody. Yeah. And thanks, everyone, for entering. 
We yeah, didn't think we were going to get 600 plus people. So yeah, that was a lot. <laughs> Good stuff. And I just want to reiterate because you know we're a privacy show. All that's going to get deleted. Um, we'll probably hold on to it for about a week or two just to make sure we get in touch with everybody, have all the addresses right, all that kind of stuff. And then once we're confident everybody's getting their stuff, it's all going away. If any of the winners don't reach back out, then we'll decide what to do from there. We might have to do another follow-up first, maybe some backup winners. Um, otherwise, we might just use the prizes for something else. So just FYI, if you are a winner, make sure you respond to ASAP or else we might give you a prize away. All right, with that, let's go ahead and start the news. And we're going to start off with a pretty big story this week which is that iOS VPNs have leaked traffic for more than two years, according to a researcher. But he says that VPNs on iOS leak traffic. The original story I saw was the actual research paper and I kind of skimmed it. I recommend you read it. It gets pretty technical, but it's also easy to understand in some areas. If I understood it correctly, this happens kind of randomly. And it's also kind of hard for the average user to detect. Like you could do it with a packet sniffer such as Wireshark but not everyone knows how to spin up Wireshark and, and watch their traffic. So again, really hard to know. Everything from your end as the end user seems like it's working fine, but there's little bits of content leaking here and there. Proton also claims that they reported this to Apple two years ago, but says that Apple hasn't done anything about it. And just to be clear, this is an Apple limitation. This isn't like a Proton limitation, an IVPN limitation. This isn't a VPN limitation. This is Apple. Apple needs to fix things on their side so that this works. Having said that, Apple claims that they have fixed it. I believe they're talking about the kill switch because Proton said that, yeah, they partially fixed it. And that, again, if I'm understanding all these articles right, that coincides around the same time that Proton released the kill switch on iOS. But the researcher said kill switch doesn't even do anything. Like it, it's completely ineffective. So it's not really a, a full fix. And also Proton claims that the fix Apple rolled out made exceptions for Apple services, so Apple services can still connect even when the VPN is supposed to be killing traffic. So, um, you know, lovely, lovely little case of them giving themselves extra permissions and uh, exceptions, as unfortunately companies do. I think people have accused us before of, like, being Apple fanboys. I, I think we're both willing to say, like, not cool Apple. Like, first of all, not cool to not fix it. Second, not cool to, like, make an exception for yourself. My personal takeaway about this story is... I'm a firm believer that you shouldn't be doing sensitive things on mobile anyways. Like mobile may be better at, at security than desktop is depending on the distro you're using and how you've hardened it and stuff. But at the same time, you have a lot less control. With iOS, for example, you can't really meaningfully change browsers because they're all WebKit. You can't uh, add content blockers. You can't, now you can't even be sure that the VPN's working. So I'm, I'm a firm believer that if you have really sensitive stuff to do, you should be doing it on a desktop where you have a lot more control over the software you're running and how it functions, or in person, if that's an option. I still think you should use a VPN because at least some of your traffic will be encrypted some of the time, but you definitely should not be relying on that VPN if you're doing anything sensitive, especially in light of this information. We weren't harsh <laughs> enough on Apple, Nate. Yeah, We're definitely not. still fanboys. <laughs> yeah, probably. We didn't completely condemn Apple over this, so it's not hard enough. Yeah, and then the people who love Apple are going to say we condemn them too, too much. Yeah, you're going too hard on it, man. They're working on it. Yeah, they're working. They said they fixed it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Data breaches. Over 9,000 VNC servers were exposed online without a password. VNC is virtual network computing, which is essentially remote monitoring systems. I'm reading here, though, that they can be used for more sensitive things as serious as water treatment facilities and industrial control systems, which is very scary to me because I don't even want to set up remote stuff on my own machines, not to mention anything that is... Uh, 
handling uh, any kind of infrastructure. So the top five exposures came from China, Sweden, US, Spain, and Brazil. And some of these endpoints are being sold in cyber criminal forums. Again, we're gonna see more and more data breaches end up in the real world. So be ready for that. And we'll do our, what, monthly reminder. If your water gets shut off because of a data breach, are you ready? If your power gets cut off because of a data breach, are you ready? Just think about things like this. Healthcare provider Novant issues data breach warning after the site tracking pixel sent patient information to meta servers. So this is the uh, meta tracking pixel that we've been talking about for a couple weeks now. And the markup did a fantastic story about how it's being used on a lot of medical websites, but it's also being used to like submit patient data even inside the portal once they've logged in and that's supposed to be protected and that's really not cool. So Novant operates over 50 healthcare facilities in North Carolina, which is in the US, and they have removed the pixel. In my opinion, I, I think they've really pulled this off well. They removed the pixel. Uh, they've contacted everybody that they're aware of who was affected. And the potential data that was exposed could include email, email address, phone number, IP address, and healthcare appointment info. Fortunately, it doesn't include like social security numbers and, and uh, I think financial information they said, but I mean, it's still, you know, it's meta, so it's not good. And I, I think that's really cool of them that as soon as they heard about this, they took it down and told everybody like, yeah, this is basically a data breach. We, we didn't know it was doing this. Now we know and we're fixing it. So good on them. Yeah, I agree. I, I'm, I'm happy with the response. Also, I know someone in the comments is going to be like, they meant to do this the whole time. And it's like, no, these companies are like, massive and i'm sure that someone in like the website design process just threw them in because that's what most people do yeah and because sure analytics people... man yeah exactly it's just it's how you build websites you got to have analytics you got to know what your visitors are doing mm -hmm. and i'm sure that most people just aren't aware that this kind of stuff happens so i agree okay and our last story is an update to the twilio uh incident i guess we covered, I'm pretty sure it was last week, we covered how Twilio had a data breach. Twilio gives voice over IP numbers for usually companies. Like they will work with individuals, but their target audience is companies. And it turns out that one of those companies that Twilio provides service for was Signal. So certain Signal users, about 1,900 of them, were affected in that their, um, their numbers were exposed and it was possible to see that they had received a confirmation text from Signal. Uh, a few things to note, uh, Signal points out, this is like a tiny, tiny, I think like less than 1% of their, their user base. What's more important in my opinion, things that were not compromised include message history, contact list, profile info, who you've blocked and other personal data. That's quote, other personal data. The fact that these specific numbers were using Signal was exposed, but like who they messaged, what the messages were, all that kind of stuff was not. So. In the grand scheme of things, this could have been a lot worse, and I'm, I'm glad that it wasn't. One unfortunate thing is that the attackers could have used that data to try and register the accounts on new devices, which again, would not give them access to past numbers, but they would get all the incoming numbers. And um, I haven't really moved my signal number a lot, but so I don't know how feasible this is. Maybe the victim wouldn't have known that there's their number. They just, you know, especially if you're one of those people who doesn't send a whole lot of texts, your phone would just be quiet for hours or days and you wouldn't really think anything of it. Um, so that is concerning for sure. The defense for that one was to use the registration lock and signal, which I definitely encourage, especially if you have a higher threat model. If you had registration lock, they wouldn't have been able to re-register your number without, I think it's a pin you have to know. Just a little context we want to remember, could have been much worse. Messages weren't compromised, contacts, none of that. So that's good, but 
remember to always turn on whatever defense you have at your disposal. Yeah, and also, and here we go, people are going to be like, <clears throat> signal fanboys, because um, people think we're signal fanboys, and it's like, no, it's because it's proven, and even during like something like this, this is an account takeover. Yeah, which is really bad. Yeah, but a, a, a signal account takeover, all it gets you is the possibility to like socially engineer whoever messages you before the people around you noticed. However, and I really want to outline this, Everyone is talking about how this attack would have never happened if Signal would have rushed to get rid of the phone numbers by now. <laughs> so, yeah, like, fair. like I'm I'm also on that boat too. Um, I people I I tell people Signal is probably the best messenger you can be on in this day and age. Overall, like regarding usability, privacy, and security, like just an overall best balance. But I'm still on the page of them needing to get rid of that phone number requirement. And this attack, I really hope, bites them in the ass enough to really like prioritize that because now they have 1900 just so people know that 1900 probably wasn't just random users those 1900 people that were affected were probably high threat model people that were personally targeted because of this attack i'm on the page of this should have never happened because signal should have dropped phone numbers by now and i think up until this point signal's been like yeah phone numbers are fine and I think they are fine, especially for discoverability and for usability, because everyone knows what phone numbers are. But now we're seeing stuff like this. And I'm like, I think it's really time now to cut the phone number. <laughs> no, I'm, I agree with you. I, I think for most people, it's probably not a big deal, but I don't think they should be mandatory. And they've been promising usernames since freaking dinosaurs walked the earth, man. So yeah, they really need to get off their... Not, not saying that they're not doing anything else, but, you know, they really need to prioritize that and do that because they've been promising it forever. And that was it for data breaches, everyone. Now, companies. The first one, Android 13 is starting to roll out. And the Android 13 privacy settings you should update now is what we're going to talk about. This is beginning with Pixel phones, just so you all know. And Nate has added a very important note that this is why we both recommend Pixels if you're ever going for an Android device that you're not gonna flash anything custom on. Even if you're gonna flash something, Pixel is probably your best bet because you're gonna get faster updates, better security, and less bloat. Stock Android is the way to go if you're not gonna be doing custom ROMs. Pretty much universally. I, I can't think of many exceptions to that rule. Some notable changes us users should watch out for. You can stop apps from using Wi-Fi to collect location data. The What Permissions app have used report now extends to seven days instead of 24 hours, and you can pick which photos apps can see and use, which is kind of like what iOS got, I think, in iOS 14. And there's also better notification options, unlike any iOS version. Things that are on by default, clipboard history will automatically clear after a short period of time, and apps must explicitly state if they use Google ad IDs. So um, all good stuff. Uh, stock Android is still probably not a great place to be privacy-wise, but uh, yeah, there are still some improvements being made here, especially in regards to third-party privacy. Um, so this is all good stuff in the right direction. If you want to take privacy more seriously, uh, the ROMs are beginning to move over to Android 13 ASAP. So those should be out soon. And on the topic of Android 13, malware developers have already bypassed some of their new security features. And, you know, this is just the eternal cat and mouse of privacy and security, which is why we recommend you subscribe because, you know, this is constantly evolving. So I think we've covered in the past. I don't think this is a unique feature to Android 13 or maybe it was like an upcoming feature. Maybe I'm wrong about that. But Android was uh, planning to or already did roll out a lockdown to accessibility services. And uh, that's things like, you know, enlarging the text and having the phone narrate the text to you and stuff like that it's for people who are uh, differently abled, like vision impairments or hearing impairments. And those, apparently those accessibility services are, uh, have a lot of 
elevated permissions. So it's really common for malware developers on Android to try and get access to those services. And then with those elevated permissions, they can pivot to other parts of the device and steal your data. Cyber criminals have already found a new way to bypass these restrictions and continue to abuse those features. The method of abuse primarily relies on sideloading the app via APKs. So basically, if you get the app from the Play Store, um, then that lockdown accessibility stuff is already in place. But if you sideload it, that may not be the case. I'm personally a fan of sideloading. I have nothing against it. I definitely have more than a few APKs on my Android phone, but this is just a reminder. You always got to be careful, even when you're downloading from the Play Store. You know, we, I, I don't think it's included in this list, but this week there was a story about like 2 million apps having malware or something like that, or an app with 2 million downloads, something like that. So point being, just be careful. Make sure that you're using the official source. Make sure it's the right app. Make sure it's an app you actually need. And, you know, it's not just some crap you're putting on your phone that you don't need. Just vet the sources and be cautious. Yeah, it's the best you can do. And I'm, I'm, I, I don't want to fearmonger, so I don't want people to be scared. But even if you're using Fdroid, man, like on Fdroid, if you, especially if you add custom repos and stuff, if you add a custom repo to Fdroid and that repo is for whatever reason breached or some an attacker gets access to it, they can just swap the downloads and you get an update, download it, and you have a, a malicious APK installed on your phone. Um, so just watch out for that kind of stuff. I mean, do, do people remember back when Linux Mint's website was compromised and people downloaded malicious versions of Linux Mint? That same thing can happen on your phone as well. So it's just always something to be careful about. All right. And if you're on iOS laughing at the Android users, well, you're, you're up next. So Apple has released iOS, iPadOS, and macOS security fixes for two zero days under active attack. The two vulnerabilities were found in WebKit, which is the browser engine that powers Safari and other apps, and the kernel, essentially the core of the operating system. The two flaws affect both iOS and iPadOS and macOS Monterey. Apple said the WebKit bug could be exploited if a vulnerable device accessed or processed maliciously crafted web content that may lead to arbitrary code execution. While the second bug allowed a malicious application to execute arbitrary code with kernel privileges, which means full access to the device. The two flaws are believed to be related, so that's Apple's formal stance. So be sure to update. These updates were pushed several days ago at this point, so hopefully you've already updated before you listen to this. Our next story comes from AdGuard DNS, who is announcing AdGuard DNS 2.0, a new level of online protection. The biggest change here, for those of you who don't know, AdGuard is a DNS service, kind of like NextDNS or something like that, where... Um, their, their big selling point is that they do content blocking. So they'll block malware, they'll block, I think they block some trackers. Um, they're also, they're a little bit more of a mainstream service. So they'll block at, at your request, of course, they'll block like adult websites or gambling sites. Um, and what they're doing now is with 2.0, they're giving you more granular control over the DNS block list. So not only can you subscribe to different lists, like, you know, I want to block, uh, gambling sites, but not adult sites or vice versa or whatever. In addition to that, there will be a way, I'm assuming in like the dashboard or something, to go in and see exactly what's being blocked and either whitelist it or to see what's not being blocked and add it. So they're giving you a lot more control. This is a win. If I'm not mistaken, I think NextDNS has had this for quite some time, but you know, not everybody has the technical skill to like host their own DNS or their own Raspberry Pi or whatever. So it's, it's really cool to see services rolling out things like this that give you a lot more control over that kind of stuff. So good for them. And if you're an AdGuard user, definitely be on the lookout for that because that is a really cool update. Illuminate Education was pulled from Student Privacy Pledge after a massive data breach. 
Illuminate Education has become the first ever company to get booted from the Student Privacy Pledge, which is an unprecedented move that follows a massive data breach affecting millions of students and allegations the company misrepresented its security safeguards. Ooh, I want this to happen more often. Um, the Future of Privacy Forum, which created the self-regulatory effort nearly a decade ago to promote ethical student data practices by education technology companies, announced on Monday it had stripped Illuminate from its pledge signatory designation that referred the company to the Federal Trade Commission and State Attorneys General in New York and California. Where the We covered the story a while back. If it's the story we're both thinking of, uh, they leaked hundreds of thousands of students' data in New York. Um, and it looks like that, that's gone up to millions in different areas, too. Uh, this is We're going to have another student story later in the Misfits section. Uh, I feel bad for the students and the children today. And if you're a parent, we hope that you're speaking up about these issues because a lot of the software and a lot of the things that are going on in schools right now is incredibly privacy invasive, and it's only a matter of time before your own child is affected. With that, we'll move into the research section, and we're going to start off with a story that's probably going to give you guys a little bit of deja vu because it did for me. The headline says TikTok's in-app browser could be keylogging, privacy analysis warns. TikTok's iOS app has been shown to be keylogging everything that happens in the app, including the in-app browser. And we covered a similar story from Facebook and Instagram just last week. They're doing the exact same thing. The researcher has launched a tool to help you test your browser, which we will discuss in a second. TikTok claims that the research is, quote, incorrect and misleading, unquote, saying that the JavaScript the researcher detected is not used to collect any keystrokes. Like, it has that ability, but that's not what we're doing with it. They only use it for, quote, debugging, troubleshooting, and performance monitoring, unquote. Uh, Personal note here, remember how they said they totally were not sharing user data with China and that turned out to be a lie? Um, Yeah, I don't know why that came to mind, but... It did. I can't find any justification for collecting any data in the in-app browser. Like, it's WebKit. Every browser that uses WebKit is going to work the same exact way. There is no <laughs> debugging they need to do inside of that in-app browser. Um, I mean, that's a fair rebuttal, too. But I, I can't think I just, of anything, at least. But I, I could I, be I wrong just, about that. But My trust in them is just gone at this point. Not Not like I had a lot to begin with, but, like, when it was proven they were lying, it's just like... You realize we have literally no incentive to ever believe another word that comes out of your eye. Like, maybe you're right. Maybe you're not key logging. But we have no reason to believe you anymore because you've been caught boldface lying in the past. Like, Just a reminder, too, for people who missed the Facebook, Instagram version of the story last week, they had to bake this functionality in. If you develop an application for iOS, it can just use the default Safari WebKit in-app browser. And that's actually the easiest thing to do is just that default, which is not privacy invasive, any more privacy invasive than using um, just normal Safari. So they had to actually bake all of this JavaScript into the in-app browser to be loaded on every single website. This isn't some accidental thing. And just to wrap that up, we said we would talk about the tool that lets you test your browser. So the same researcher created a website. It's inappbrowser.com. You can visit it from any browser, FYI. You don't have to use the in-app browser, but if you're curious, you can go to this website and it will do a scan and it will detect for possible JavaScript injections, which have the potential to be used maliciously like above. Now it's worth noting, all it detects is the possibility. It's not saying, yes, this definitely happens. It's just saying it's possible that this could happen because of the way the browser is configured. It allows for this capability. It's also worth noting that even if it comes back clean, 
The site still warns you that it can't necessarily detect every possible form of JavaScript intrusion. On the plus side, if you're definitely vulnerable, it'll let you know. So if you're curious, you can visit that site. Next story, also regarding phones, your smartphone could recognize you just by the way you hold it. Uh, we did include the paywalled version of this article just because it was a more reputable source and we tried to find a better one. So if anyone has a better one, just let us know. But the team recruited 217 volunteers to each hold a smartphone while the device's sensors collected data during either a single 30 second measurement session or a series of such sessions. The AI used about half of this data to figure out the best way to differentiate individual smartphone users. The team then tested the algorithm with the other half of the data to see if it could identify specific individuals in the group. Across 1,100 tests, the algorithm identified the correct person around 92.5% of the time within 1.5 seconds. Movement, such as riding in a car, creates noise and drowns out the signal. This is just a very niche, I think, demonstration of uh, how small things you do can be very identifiable. Uh, they say that movement, such as riding in a car, can drown out this signal, but it's also worth mentioning we've seen other research articles where your movement itself can also be tracked. So I wouldn't say that like keeping your phone in your car and only using your phone while you move is actually a way to mitigate all problems. It might mitigate this problem, but these are all just demonstrations. They're not actually designed to be uh, something that you should expect to be going on all the time but I still think that demonstrating the capability is something that you should think about, and it's something we should always be thinking about when uh, it comes to analyzing tools to make sure they're not doing this. And our last research story is a really quick one. It says, malicious browser extensions targeted about seven or almost seven million people. So this comes from Kaspersky Labs research, which means that the actual number is likely higher because not everyone uses Kaspersky. And this data covers from the beginning of 2020 to the first half of 2022. About 70% of the malicious extensions that were blocked were adware, but there were some others out there. Adware, for those who don't know, is uh, when it just basically serves you a lot of ads. Most of the ads have um, malicious affiliate links and stuff, has the potential to download other malware on your computer, that kind of stuff. But ads are kind of their main thing they push out to you. Most of these malicious extensions were masquerading as productivity tools. For example, a uh, .doc to PDF converter and things like that. So once again, I think we mentioned this earlier with uh, apps, same thing with browsers. They run with elevated permissions and just be really careful. Make sure number one, do you actually need them? Number two, are you getting them, getting them from the official sources? And cause you know, they also, extensions also make you more easily fingerprintable. So the, generally speaking, the less you have the better from both a privacy and a security perspective. Politics. A British judge has ruled a dissident can sue Saudi Arabia for Pegasus hacking. The decision has been hailed as precedent setting and one that could allow other hacking victims in Britain to sue foreign governments who order such attacks. The case against Saudi Arabia was brought by a user who was affected by this and he is a prominent satirist uh, granted asylum in the UK, who is a frequent critic of the Saudi royal family. And at the center of the case are allegations that Saudi Arabia ordered the hacking of his phone and that he was physically assaulted by agents of the kingdom in London in 2018. I think this sets a precedent for people in the UK, but I also think it sets a precedent worldwide as well. I think that hopefully one day we'll be able to see journalists be able to sue these nationwide uh, attackers who are ordering these kinds of attacks. Staying in the UK for our next story, legitimate hacking activities under UK law proposed by expert consensus. I'll just go ahead and quote the article. Campaigners for reform of the UK's Computer Misuse Act, CMA, have identified cybersecurity activities that should be legally defensible amid an ongoing government review of the 1990 law. 
These legitimate hacking activities include responsible vulnerability research and disclosure, proportionate threat intelligence, best practices, internet scanning, enumeration, use of open directory listings, and honeypots, unquote. So this group uh, has delivered a letter which was signed by multiple members of parliament. Uh, the article didn't name who they were or how many of them, but this group clearly does have some level of government backing. And they took their letter, signed and everything, and delivered it to, I believe that's number 10 Downing Street, uh, where the, the prime minister or whoever lives. So we'll see if anything comes out of that. Like I said, clearly it's got some support if people, if MPs signed it. Hopefully we'll see something come of that. Germany is mandating minimum security standards for web browsers within its government. Just quoting some of this, most of the security and privacy Oh, most of the security and privacy technologies prescribed are available in most modern web browsers, including things like supporting the proper certificates, uh, encrypting connections to the server, supporting HSTS. Browsers also need to support a mechanism for automatic updates, uh, with updates only carried out if an integrity check is successful, and they must implement a same origin policy so that documents and scripts cannot access resources such as text and graphics from other websites. I think this is only good. It'd be cool if we saw um, some more of this stuff to kind of just raise the minimum bar. Uh, for a lot of places. And our final political story comes out of Argentina, where the judiciary of Cordoba was hit by the Play ransomware attack. This has caused them to shut down using pen and paper to submit documents. Good old tried and true method. It's being called one of the worst attacks on public institutions in history. I don't know if they mean specifically in the country or like globally, but excuse me, it's being called the worst attack on public institutions. As of yet, there do not appear to be any data leaks. It just appears to be extremely disruptive. But, you know, if we hear anything, we'll throw it in the data breach section at the top of the show. And now FOSS, free and open source. No script, the browser extension, which is good for blocking scripts and other good things, has hit 11.4.8, which introduces experimental cross-tab identity leak protection. When triggered by a cross-tab identifiable request, TabGuard suspends it. The user can load anonymously, which is a feature, which prevents the attack but logs out from the site, or you can load normally, which may be required by legit cross-site workflows like online payments, SSO, or any third-party authentication. So good job, NoScript, and I'm sure if you use Tor Browser, that should be carried over there soon as well. Our next story is a blog post from Brave, and it says, Grab Bag 4, privacy improvements for our iOS browsers make them best in class with leading protection. So some of these I think we've covered in the past, like they've uh, strengthened the tracker block list, but the most noteworthy update here, and just to be clear, this is kind of like them saying like, hey, we've done a lot in the past few weeks, here's what we're doing, it's kind of a catch up. The most noteworthy thing is that iOS Brave now includes fingerprint randomization, just like the desktop version, and I'm pretty sure the Android version as well already does. I know earlier we said like it's all WebKit, it kind of doesn't matter, but I mean, little things like this, kind of matter in my opinion. It took them so long to roll this out because of restrictions in WebKit. So it wasn't like they were just being lazy. It's just iOS's security is a blessing and a curse. It's a double-edged sword. On the one hand, it makes it really hard for malware and bad guys to do things. But on the other hand, it also makes it really hard for legitimate people to do things. They had to figure out how to work within the restrictions of WebKit. And it looks like they finally got that up and running. They have also, um, I think I mentioned this earlier, they have strengthened their tracker block list, which again, iOS restrictions were making it weaker, and now they have added more stuff to it to better protect you from tracking. I actually read this one, um, and I would really recommend everyone reads it. I especially liked their take on iOS as a whole. They explicitly state, iOS is better than Android for a bare minimum. Like, the worst app on iOS will always be better than the worst app on Android. 
I think that's almost a direct quote. That's almost a direct quote. Like it's it's almost like objective at this point. Like being on iOS is going to give you better third-party privacy and security than being on Android in almost every capacity. But in regards to like hitting a max point, it's much harder to do, to do that on iOS when you have people like Brave who are trying to offer like better privacy and security to users, but they're restricted to WebKit. Um, I just liked that take. So um, if people want to read that take themselves, I think it's a good article to read. So it's towards the end. Next one is kind of a sad one. So Bibliogram is an, a front end for Instagram. So it allows you to view Instagram things without needing to have an Instagram account on your web browser. It is being discontinued though. The developer no longer wants to work on it for a, a variety of reasons, mainly the constant cat and mouse game of Instagram breaking it and then them having to find a fix, as well as a general lack of interest. They've invited anyone who's interested to pick up development and continue the project. Um, so if you are a developer and you want to continue that, you can. For me, this story, I talked with Nate before the call, uh, it kind of outlines how, it outlines a lot of things. One, things like Newpipe and all these other front ends, their workarounds to the real issue being people using those platforms in the first place. And Newpipe can just die the next day. YouTube can make their videos only accessible via youtube.com if they wanted to. I'm fairly certain, like, today. Um, and so Newpipe already does break constantly. I do think there already is a cat and mouse game there. And so if you like these projects, make sure you donate to them to show that you're interested in them. But also don't get too comfortable with these projects either because, like, in one way or another, you're still reliant on these uh, central companies uh, in behind the scenes. I, I kind of mentioned, you know, moving to like the Fediverse, for example, things like PeerTube and Mastodon, and those are helpful, but it is a lot of work to maintain multiple social media accounts. And I don't know, we could launch into a whole nother discussion about that. But yeah, it's, it's complicated, I think. there's Because even then, there's some people that don't want to move to those platforms for a variety of reasons. You know, it's not their target audience and stuff like that. It's yeah, kind of sucks. Um, I think the biggest takeaway is to donate to these programs if you can and show your support. Like getting drowned with lots of negative comments really sucks. And those positive comments really shine through and encourage people some days. So we don't know that from experience <laughs> at all. I have no idea what that's like. Yeah, we're just guessing. This is, this is just an educated <laughs> guess on our ends. <laughs> Yep, totally. Our next story comes from LibreOffice, where 7.4 has been released with better Microsoft Office compatibility and other improvements. Specifically, the article says multiple improvements, fixes, and the introductions of minor productivity-focused features across the entire suite's programs. We won't list them all because there's actually quite a few, but if you go ahead and check the article, just scroll down a little bit. They clearly marked a huge bullet list of all the different updates in the different, you know, Impress and Writer and stuff like that. I think it's called Impress, presentations, whatever. It's the, the PowerPoint version. So yeah, if you're curious, if you're a LibreOffice user, check that out. It seems like a pretty, pretty hefty chunk of updates and keep your stuff updated. This last one, I'm not gonna even get into because it's super technical, but uh, Signal put out a recent blog post talking about how they're building a faster ORAM layer for, um, contact discoverability and it's just really cool technical stuff if you're interested in how signal does contact discoverability in a way that doesn't even allow them to see your contacts it's pretty nifty so if you're interested in kind of like the behind the scenes tech for signal definitely check out that in the sources with that we'll move into misfits and we're going to start off with a worrying story uh cyber criminals have attacked the uk water supplier with 1.6 million customers so they attacked South Staffordshire Water, a company supplying 330 million liters of drinking water to 1.6 million customers daily. 
The safety and water distribution systems are still operational, so the disruption of the IT systems doesn't impact the supply of safe water to its customers or one of those subsidiaries, uh, which include Cambridge Water and South Staffs Water. The Klopp ransomware gang seems to be behind this attack and is threatening to leak data. Thankfully, the result for the end people seems to be rather limited, but, you know, like we said at the beginning, that's uh, really unfortunate that water, I mean, water, three days without it and you're dead. It's kind of a big deal, so... Uh, these things are really vulnerable and you got to be prepared for that and demand better security practices from our elected officials. A tool that monitors how long kids are in the bathroom is now in 1,000 American schools. So Motherboard has identified multiple schools that have adopted e-hall pass to track students' movements. And this tracks everything, uh, how long it takes them to get to the bathroom, how long they're in the bathroom, how long it takes them to get back. And the system has lots of resemblances to the sort of worker monitoring carried out by Amazon, <laughs> which you do not want to be compared to Amazon like this. It's overall very concerning, and uh, some people have introduced the concern, and some of the students are speaking out about it. This is used in a thousand schools. The president told the outlet that the company's biggest obstacle to selling the product is when a school isn't culturally ready to make these kinds of changes yet. So... Translation, they care about the kids' privacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, Lord. and I don't know, I'm, I'm very upset to see this because I think this is, I, I'm very just generally cynical of, of a lot of things that we do here in the States. And for me, this is like, wow, we couldn't get a good enough education system in order to now, we need to rely on the workaround solution of over tracking people going to the bathroom. Like we can't even trust kids anymore to just use the restroom, like one of the most basic human necessities out there. So I don't know, I'm pretty upset about this. And I think a quote here that I really liked as well is every dollar spent on these solutions is a dollar less that can be spent on hiring school counselors and teachers. Ultimately, the choice schools are facing is about the type of community they are seeking to foster, one focused on defending and punishing versus one focused on supporting and uplifting. By its very nature, increased digital student surveillance leads to the former. And I think that pretty much states it perfectly, and it sums up our thoughts on uh, surveillance in schools better than we can. All right, and we're going to end on a really amusing story. Janet Jackson's music video is now a vulnerability for crashing hard disks. Quoting the article, Janet Jackson's Rhythm Nation music video from 1989 has officially been declared a security vulnerability as it freezes some models of hard drives on older computers. The vulnerability we are talking about is a denial of service, specifically a side channel attack that causes hard drives of some laptop PCs from 2005, which is kind of recent actually for an older device, uh, to malfunction and crash. And it's to do with a physical phenomenon known as resonance. Um, so this is my area of expertise, but I'm pretty sure everything has what's called a structural resonance frequency. That's the part I could be wrong about is what it's called. And it's basically everything vibrates. And everything vibrates at a certain frequency. So actually, if you've ever seen, either in a movie or anywhere, when somebody sings a really high note and then, like, the glass breaks, what happens there, basically, is the air, because sound is just vibrations traveling through the air, the air vibrates at the same frequency that is the structural re resonance frequency of the glass, and the glass basically can't tell the difference between itself and the air and just vibrates itself apart. The resonance from this music video interferes with the actual movement of hard disks and stuff like that and just causes them to freak out and not know what's going on and break. So honestly, I think it's such a funny, awesome story. I mean, it's bad, but it's also just so hilarious. I like What how a time to be alive. I like how it was actually formally entered, too, as 
a vulnerability like a in CV? the database. Yeah, so like it's a formal <laughs> CV. It's not just a hey, FYI, this part. is a thing, but like, no, it's an actually registered CVE now. <laughs> With that, we'll move into our Q&A section. And we had some really good questions this week. Thank you guys for asking. We're gonna start off with one from Harley that says, do you have any trustworthy recommendations for an alternative to Google Voice for the UK? Google Voice isn't offered where I live and I wanna keep the number for keeping in contact with some people, but I wanna move away from a standard SIM card plan. On my website at thenewoil.org, I have a whole page listing uh, different voice over IP providers. I'm pretty sure MySudo works in the UK, which would be my number one recommendation. I think they're super cool. Um, there's another one called Tossable Digits that recently came to my attention. I think they work in the UK. And um, I think a couple of the others I list on the site might work in the UK, but honestly, between those two, and I think Hushed also works in the UK. I know Henry's not a fan of them, but I, I think between those two or three, you'll probably find something that meets your uh, your qualifications. They're, yeah. Hey, you know what's interesting about Hushed? So I first tried Hushed on a custom ROM, and it was awful. Calls would just drop randomly. Notifications would come in delayed. Terrible. And I, I was like, okay, this might be a custom ROM thing. So then I moved to stock Android. I used Hushed. No, same problems. Still terrible. Um, then I tried it on iOS, and it's perfect on iOS. It's not perfect. Like, the app and the UI is still terrible, in my opinion. Like, it doesn't have just basic functions that you'd expect in the Messenger and other things. One other thing, uh, I, I don't know what the prepaid game is like in the UK, too, just to add on to this. But just throwing it your way, uh, you can't go wrong with a second SIM if you're able to afford that. And um, you can deal with the logistical issues regarding it. You'll probably have to have a second phone and all that stuff. If you have an old phone laying around, again, it's not ideal just throwing a second, more foolproof option your way too if you can't use VOIP to register for an account or something online. Next question is from Bent Frame, and it's now that surveillance report is its own entity, where do you see it going for the next 100? Will you be introducing other platform launches in the future? Right now, like on my end, I, I don't really have anything crazy planned for surveillance support. I think like our goal right now is just to keep improving production and just keep making this making this as good as possible. I think this is meant to be more of a predictable experience than like crazy cool experience. But if you guys have ideas, definitely send them over. I totally thought we were gonna do a Beats collaboration like Kim <laughs> Kardashian just did. Yeah, we're- Beats by surveillance report. Yeah, five hundred dollars a pair. We're gonna start a NordVPN category, <laughs> where we just talk about NordVPN every week, and they'll pay us. And how money. awesome it is! Yeah, I saw a NordVPN <laughs> ad on uh, the hotel TV yesterday when I was watching uh, just some random shows, and the way they advertise it's pretty crazy. It's uh, like it, it, it was an off button, and it was like viruses. Like they specifically said viruses. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh, internet tracking and like data and like, they turn it on and it's like NordVPN eliminates all of these things. And it's like, how is NordVPN going to prevent malware? Viruses. Like how, I yeah. mean, I guess it might, it might, I think they now have, what do they call it? I don't, they have some DNS kind of domain filtering. blocking at this point. So they might be making the argument that their domain blocking could block a malicious website. But that is a very far-fetched claim to say that you're going to stop viruses just because of that feature. I was going to say, I would trust Nord to work as a VPN. Like, I'm sure they do encrypt traffic between your device and the servers. It's just they're like, like most VPNs, it's the marketing that's just like, come on, man. It's the marketing, but they've yeah. also had some questionable incidents too. To the point where I'm like, they... why would you not just go with the incident free service that costs the same and like is open source. I mean, that's fair. And doesn't have trackers in their Android apps. Like 
We're getting I guess it. my point is there there are worse out there, but yeah, they're certainly not like my favorite by any stretch of the imagination. I think there's better out there too. I agree. It's not pure VPN <laughs> or hide my ass, so yeah. <laughs> exactly. All right. I'll kick off the next one. I, I I have not actually read it yet, so I'm gonna read it as I'm reading it out. It's from Groghawk. Groghosh. If you're watching the video, you see it on the screen. Um, when choosing an operating system for computers, I can see that there are multiple recommendations for Linux variants. But after choosing the distribution, is there any privacy security difference to take into consideration of choosing a desktop environment or window manager? Or is the best solution to use the generic flagship version to blend into the main crowd and to get regular updates? Or to choose the one that the users prefer? That's a very loaded question that's going to depend on a ton of things. I will start by just throwing an obvious out there. You should not be using Xorg <laughs> if you care about security. Now, regarding things like desktop environments, I'm actually not too familiar with the different security models of the desktop environments like KDE versus uh, GNOME and all that good stuff. I, I don't have much of an opinion on this one. I don't have enough information to tell you which one is more privacy or security friendly. All I'll tell you is that a lot of people who do care about privacy and security frequently swap them out and you can actually have multiple uh, you can have multiple desktop environments installed at the same time and just change them out when you're logging in. So I don't think it's a big deal to just change and pick the one that works best for you. I haven't heard of any reason to avoid um, a desktop environment before. Regarding blending into the main crowd, I don't know what you're referring to there because as far as I know, there's no like fingerprinting concerns unless you have some program installed that's analyzing things like that. But I could be wrong about that. It, it is legitimately, I, I honestly do like GNOME. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I don't really have a, a lot of experience on the dis different DEs um, other than just like the visual and, you know, which ones I prefer. As far as I know, it's user preference. Um, should probably go with one that actually is mainstream and gets updated a lot as opposed to, you know, just some random thing you found on GitHub that looked cool that nobody's ever heard of. I don't know if those are a thing, but probably so. But I'm kind of with you. I don't know if it matters a lot. I've never really looked into it. And that is it for the week, everyone. So again, iOS VPNs may have been leaking some of your data. In fact, they probably were. Android 13 has started rolling out. Brave on iOS is making some big moves. We got updates to the Twilio breach and a lot more. And we did our giveaway at the beginning. So thank you everyone again for entering. And if again, if you're a winner, uh, keep an eye out on your emails. We'll probably give you guys not too much time to get back to them before we scrap you and move on to the next person. So make sure you're paying attention. And again, a promo segment. If you enjoy these reports, we hit SR100. If you want us to get to SR200, something that would really help is for you guys to support us. So Patreon is the best way to do that. Uh, it's a monthly contribution. We give you perks in the process. Uh, you can read those perks on Patreon, but they include things like you get to join our Q&A, like the questions we just answered were from our Patreon. And also you get access to ad-free segments so you don't hear any of these promos. Um, so join our Patreon if you really want to support us. And also we have Monero for people who want to be a little bit more privacy friendly in regards to how they support us. So check those two out down in the description. And thank you everyone for helping us get this far. And um, we'll just end it there. Stay subscribed. Uh, leave a like and a rating if you like to do that. And we'll see you all next week.